Welcome to this therapeutic update entitled The Future of Psoriatic Arthritis. Therapeutic updates are a series of educational videos or monographs dedicated to one topic. For this month, our campaign on PSA all the way, we've chosen the topic of the future of PSA. It's going to be an exciting series that I'm going to lead off today. We've got a number of really interesting videos that will follow this one, including Laura Coates talking about precision medicine in PSA and Eric Gruderman talking about future therapies in PSA. We have a number of other really exciting videos that will follow, including discovery and new targets, including the future of imaging in PSA, including the prevention of PSA. You'll see these throughout the month featured on Room Now in this therapeutic update. Room Now wants to acknowledge and thank Janssen for its sponsorship of this campaign and this therapeutic update, noting that all the content that is chosen for this campaign and for the therapeutic update was really up to the faculty and the Room Now Advisory Committee. I'm going to begin with a discussion of the future of PSA. Some would say that the future is now. My goodness, do we not have so many better tools, better metrics, better epidemiology, better treatment objectives, better focus on the comorbidities that are killing, and a plethora of new agents that are we're just starting to wrap our brains around as far as when and how to best use these differentially targeted therapies. But I would say that maybe drug therapy and new drugs isn't necessarily the answer. This seems to be the case in arthritis, but it certainly isn't the case in dermatology. It wasn't long ago when we started using TNF inhibitors, the dermatologists started soon thereafter. They were using, while we were using 60, 40, 20 responses in arthritis outcomes, they were using the POSSE 75 as their benchmark, and they broke through that ceiling with newer targets. You know, the introduction of 1223 inhibitors, the introduction of uh, of Primalas, the introduction of IL-17 and IL-23 inhibitors, and now JAK inhibitors has changed the game gigantically. They're no longer talking about POSSE 75s. They're talking POSSE 90, POSSE 100. Such is not the case in arthritis. We still seem to have that same ceiling of 60-40-20 It's a steadfast presence in both RA and PSA, which tells us that we have a lot of new therapies, maybe more than they have in PSA, but we're not doing any better, meaning we're not seeing um, a breakthrough in that 60-40-20 response. So what do we need? First off, we need prevention and cures, but alas, I don't think there's any cure in the recent future for any of us. I would say 2045, and then it's only going to be in a subset of people that will be genomically predicted uh, through certain preventative measures. In the meantime, I think prevention is the way to go. Um, And if that means delaying the disease, so be it. Abrogation by diet seems by far and away the most easiest and the soonest of these interventions. Anti-inflammatory diets will work but only in a subset. We just don't know who. We know this is true from anecdotal experience, from hints in clinical trials, and really from the evidence that weight loss is very effective in controlling psoriatic arthritis. What's the other big trigger in psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis? It's actually trauma. 
which could be actually traumatic events and also the kind of work, manual physical labor, that leads to early anthocytosis that leads to propagation of pathologic events that become psoriatic arthritis. So maybe genomically defining people at risk where uh, a blue-collar job may not be appropriate. Maybe it means better inter intervention to better control anthocytosis early on post-trauma might delay or change the trajectory of disease. I think there's a, a lot of research that's being done about biologics and, and even DMARDs that suggests that if you treat psoriasis with biologic and DMARDs, you may be able to prevent psoriatic arthritis using psoriasis as a, pre, as a model of preclinical psoriatic arthritis. But there's a lot of argument on this. While there's a plethora of studies that suggest that, that the early aggressive interventions can uh, forestall the development of PSA, I think a smarter article done by Alexis Agdi, Joe Morol, and a few others looked at a large retrospective claims database and basically showed that among psoriasis patients, those who got biologics had worse disease and were more likely to get psoriatic arthritis. So we don't truly have the evidence that says that earlier intervention will change the ultimate course of psoriatic arthritis. We certainly do know that severe skin disease becomes a risk factor for the development of psoriatic arthritis. That needs to be manipulated therapeutically. I think more aggressive management of psoriasis as extracutaneous manifestations might be the way to go, but that's in the short run. I think what we need to do is make an earlier diagnosis. So if we don't prevent it, how can we make an earlier diagnosis? So I think the problem is we can't rely on current patterns and referrals of psoriasis patients to us who have musculoskeletal symptoms. It's a hodgepodge system. It's heterogeneous. It's slow. It's unpredictable. The wrong patients are getting um, to us a bit too late. I think what we need to do is take it out of our hands. Let's turn this over to the patients and machine learning and artificial intelligence. I see in the future that psoriasis is going to be diagnosed by Dr. Google. Patients are going to have lesions. They're going to say, I don't know. What is this? What do I have? And they're going to go to some internet-based source, I'll just call it Dr. Google, and they're going to say, hey, Mrs. Smith, based on your search patterns and your buying preferences of OTC meds at Walgreens and Sam's, we, you have a higher risk of having a chronic inflammatory skin condition, which could be A, B, C, or D. Please go to this site and upload your 360-degree images and we'll give you a diagnosis and tell you who to go to. So, again, patterns, right now Google's doing this with your buying patterns. You know this. This is going to translate into better medicine in the future. Patients are going to be, be able to upload multiple images. And the image banks right now are getting larger and larger. And the artificial intelligence of them says that they're incredibly accurate. I, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but dermatologists are not happy with telemedicine. They say you can't do it. It's really horrible. It doesn't work. Well, it breaks up their pattern of business. They deal high volume, short visits. They're hummingbirds. They're in and they're out there. They do pattern recognition. However, the research clearly shows that uploads of images provided by moms worried about kid rashes 
are like over 90% accurate in making a diagnosis. This gets even better in the future. So the psoriasis diagnosis is going to be made earlier. The interventions, therefore, will be given earlier, provided that they get to a dermatologist. The question is, what about psoriatic arthritis? How's that going to happen? Uh, we've already seen research that says that EMRs are going to be equipped with the ability to identify symptom patterns, lab patterns, and treatment use to develop an algorithm that says this person is likely to have a diagnosis of whatever, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, rheumatoid arthritis, and to refer for specific testing and treatment by the right specialist. So these people who convert from PSO to PSA, it'll happen earlier. It'll happen with greater accuracy. The referral to you is going to be much more of a high-yield referral compared to the hodgepodge that you're getting currently. All of this shortens the time from the symptom onset to the initiation of DMARD or disease-altering therapy. There's going to be a number of management changes in the next five to ten years. It's going to begin with clinics. Clinics are going to be redesigned. Uh, we learned during COVID that we can all do hybrid medicine. A lot of you don't like it and are going back to the same old way. Many of you do like it. And that's important because that's a part of the future. We can't, as a discipline, meet the population needs for the diagnosis and treatment of psoriatic arthritis and the other 110 forms of arthritis. We're going to need to have wiser systems and remote systems for the management of such patients. So clinics are going to be redesigned to provide care locally, regionally, and highly specialized centers um, in certain regions for PSA patients. This is going to be for both face-to-face -face care and telemedicine care. And more importantly, both the clinics and the homes are going to be equipped not with that, you know, fall off the exam table thing that's been around since 1950, but, you know, a workstation that's got three or four screens for you, the clinician. This is at home. This is at work. And on these screens, you're going to have these second, second screen inputs where you're going to look at imaging, labs, in treatments and outcomes. And it's all going to be filtered by AI and machine learning to give you better next up decision algorithms where you, the, there's going to be an advantage now. Right now you're flipping the coin on what's going to work next, work next based on the evidence, based on large numbers, the odds are going to go in favor of the patient. They're more likely to have better outcomes with smarter choices of therapy. Technology is going to change, right? You know, we, we hate technology to a certain point, but technology has changed to benefit the bean counters in the future. It benefits the providers and the patients with an eye toward better outcomes in mind. We're going to have shared patient records that will work like wikis, meaning they're going to be modified, verified, and, um, and refined over time. So it'll make for better use uh, in the clinic. Patients will self-manage themselves. They can do upgrades or updates on their care. They're going to be taking digital images of their hands. They're going to be uploaded. They're going to have some traction imaging and radiography to give you volume averaging changes over the hands or over lesions and whatnot. And those are going to be scored, given to the patient, and uploaded to the physician in real time. You'll know when the flare happened, when the improvement happened. We're going to have big-time use of AI, especially in radiology 
where it's not meant to replace radiologists, it's going to improve workflows. It's going to get rid of the mundane, dispel the normals, and create better workflows on things where expertise and integration of multiple forms of inter- inf- information are better. Biomarkers may happen. I don't have a lot of hope for biomarkers. You're all waiting for them. You know, I say wait by the big tree. It ain't going to happen. Prior authorizations are going to get better because basically this current scheme is going to be viewed as illegal and unfortunate for patients. And I think that's going to change. What about other treatment changes going forward? I think combination is going to be commonplace. It's going to be the standard of care in psoriatic arthritis. Anyone who has more than three joints needs to be on a combination. But we're going to have better combinations, smarter combination. That includes combination biologics. And there's not going to be a higher rate of infection. We need research, current research is going on in this area. This is not prime time yet. I'm not recommending this right now. But five, ten years, this is going to be the way. And I'm not talking about a primalase plus an IL-17 inhibitor or a TNF inhibitor. I think we're going to find that doesn't work very well at all. But in frustration, you're using that and you're looking for a better way. I think we're going to have to put the onus on the manufacturers. You can't get a new drug, a new 23, a new 17, a new, you know, anti-IL-37 approved unless you can provide the differentiator that lets me know using that drug is more than a coin toss. Otherwise, I'm tossing the coin on whether I'm using a TNF inhibitor, methotrexate, leflunamide, uh, abatacept, 12-23, 17 inhibitors. Again, I am sick and tired of rolling the dice. It's going to get smarter as we go forward. So manufacturers are going to need to invest heavily in developing the biomarkers, the pharmacogenomics, whatever means to get the drug on the market. I think the next great thing is insight from other disciplines. We're going to learn from COVID. Um, COVID vaccination and COVID infection has been associated with worse psoriasis and worse psoriatic arthritis. That's been seen in association with high high LL37 levels. LL37 is... um, is a defense peptide that comes up and it is actually thought to be an important mediator of psoriasis skin disease. I think we're going to find LL37 and other um, microbial targets are going to be important in the future as far as therapy. Um, I think therapies that will target plasmacytoid dendritic cells because they're the ones that are driving the alpha interferon, the TLRs 9 and 7 that are so important in driving disease and leading to a TH17, IL-17 response downstream. So lessons learned from COVID and look for LL37 as a target. I think lessons learned from TNF inhibitor-induced psoriasis, the paradoxical reaction. I think if someone spends the time and effort to take that apart to understand how we get to psoriatic arthritis and people who are somewhat predisposed will lend to better therapy. And lastly, I think IL-36. IL-36 is part of the IL-1 superfamily. Um, it's part of the innate response um, proteins. Its levels are, are, are important in the response that is seen. Interestingly, we've, we've heard reports that JAK inhibitors are highly effective and are going to clinical trials in palmal pustular psoriasis. JAK inhibitors are associated with very, very high IL-36 levels. So trying to mimic that therapeutically will be part of the future. What's not on my list is microbiome. And um, I, again, whether this is 
um, an autoimmune disorder. The microbiome, I think, is going to be in play, but mainly to tell us what's the best therapy. I don't think we're going to be manipulating the microbiome. I could be wrong, but I think we're going to manipulate the microbiome to get better drug responses, and that's where the research is going to go. I think we're going to find out that psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis are not autoimmune disease, that they're reactive, that they are in response to infectious triggers, and that what we're really seeing here is a reactive arthritis. Hence, does it not look a lot like reactive arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease and spondylitis? Yeah, it seems to make a whole lot of sense to me. Hope you enjoy this series on the future of psoriatic arthritis. Hello, I'm Dr. Gladman from the University of Toronto. I'm currently speaking to you from Toronto, and we're going to talk about the future of psoriatic arthritis care. I'm going to talk about four areas. First, early diagnosis, then disease assessment, outcome measures, and finally, personalized care. In terms of early diagnosis, a major need in psoriatic arthritis care has been early diagnosis. We know that up to 30% of patients with psoriasis will develop psoriatic arthritis. However, there is a big gap in making that diagnosis. In a study done in Germany in 2009, 85% of patients identified as having psoriatic arthritis by the rheumatologist had not been previously diagnosed. And in a more recent international study in which rheumatologists evaluated consecutive psoriasis patients in dermatology clinics, 41% of the patients diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis by the rheumatologist had not been previously given the diagnosis. This is important since we know that even a six months delay in consultation is detrimental to outcomes in patients with psoriatic arthritis. Patients who have been referred more than six months after the onset of symptoms were more likely to develop damage and have more severe uh, and, and advanced disability. In the future, the delay in diagnosis will be shortened. Already, dermatologists and other physicians have been paying more attention to the possibility that patients with psoriasis may have arthritis and are asking the appropriate questions. And in many instances, they also are administering a patient screening questionnaire. There are now several screening tools. Although it is not clear which one is the best, most have high sensitivity and specificity, as well as positive predictive values and negative predictive values, so that any of the screening tools should be helpful to the dermatologist to identify those people that need to be referred to a rheumatologist. Moreover, it is possible that patients with psoriasis will be able to complete these screening questionnaires online and actually self-refer. In terms of disease assessment, at present, our major tools to assess patients with psoriatic arthritis are very subjective. We're talking about tender joints, which rely on the patient's pain perception, we're talking about swollen joints, which rely on the observer's ability to detect the swelling. Dactylitis also relies on the observation of a swollen digit and determining which one is swollen. And enthesitis measures rely on the tenderness in the enthesitis sites. 
Likewise, assessment of the spinal disease are relying primarily on patient-reported outcomes. However, these tools are mostly subjective and may not adequately reflect the level of disease activity. The use of ultrasound to assess disease activity is becoming more widespread and will likely become a mainstay of treatment of disease assessment in psoriatic arthritis. There are other tools that are currently being investigated, investigated such as MRI, high-resolution CT, PET scanning, and there are other imaging modalities that will likely be further developed to assess the degree of inflammation. These will become more commonly used in clinical practice and provide more objective evidence of inflammation. This will be relevant not only to clinical practice, but obviously to clinical trials in identifying individuals that are suitable for investigation. Like the assessment of disease activity, outcome measures currently rely on subjective measures, including the actively inflamed joint count, tenderness of inflamed digits and emphases, as well as the patient-reported outcome. Pain is an important consideration here, but pain may, ar may arise from a number of mechanisms, not all related to inflammation. It is therefore important to have objective measures to assess outcome, measures to assess inflammation, measures to assess uh, progression of damage. Even our acute phase reactants do not always reflect joint inflammation as they may be increased due to infection or obesity. Thus, the methods outlined above to assess the disease activity will be incorporated into the outcome measures. In addition, a number of composite measures have been developed for psoriatic arthritis, which will help in the assessment of outcome of the overall disease. More importantly, biomarkers for disease activity, progression of damage, and response to therapy are being developed. And these will continue to be developed over the next few years and will become the standard of care. Those will be most important in developing approaches for personalized medicine. While some of the factors involved in the pathogenesis of psoriatic arthritis are known, including genetic, environmental, and immunological factors, the exact mechanism of disease in an individual patient is not yet known. However, the development of biomarkers for disease activity, damage progression, and response to therapy will allow us to tailor a therapeutic approach to an individual's set of biomarkers and identify the appropriate medication for each patient. This will likely start happening over the next five years. In summary, our ability to diagnose patients early, evaluate them properly, measure their outcomes, and develop individualized therapeutic plans for each patient will be the future for the management of psoriatic arthritis. Thank you very much for your attention. Hi, this is Eric Ruderman coming to you from Chicago, Illinois for Room Now. Uh, and I'm going to talk today about some of the future of treatment for psoriatic arthritis. 
Uh, we've come a long way since uh, Tannercept was approved uh, almost 20 years ago now. And we have a whole host of treatments. And, and I think we're looking forward to some new opportunities in the future. And, and I kind of want to touch on a few areas. Um, first of all, I think after years of waiting, we have sort of finally sort of opened the door on effective, uh, very effective small molecule therapies in in psoriatic disease. Um, Initially, uh, a premolast with with some level of efficacy, but not nearly the same as a biologic, but now the JAK inhibitors, which uh, seem to be very effective, particularly for joint disease, uh, and uh, in at least one instance for patacitinib, reasonably effective in skin disease. And I think that, you know, looking forward to the future, the question is going to be, how much are we going to drift over into small molecule therapy as opposed to biologic therapy with parenteral administration, which, uh, you know, at least some patients continue to find challenging. Uh, some of this is going to depend a lot on how things shake out. Uh, both with data and just sort of community and patient uh, acceptance of JAK inhibitors, given some of the more recent data in RA on uh, cardiovascular and potentially malignancy risks with tofacitinib and how much that spills over into other JAK inhibitors. You know, along those lines, I think one of the things we're looking forward to with some excitement is um, the advent of the TIC2 specific inhibitors. So TIC2 is really the fourth member of the JAK family. Um, there's JAK1, JAK2, JAK3, and TIC2. And we've seen some um, data in both skin disease and joint disease with Ducravacitinib, which is a TIC2 specific inhibitor, uh, likely to be available to us in the clinic in the next few years. Um, and I think we don't yet know whether this is going to carry some of the same safety risks or concerns that the other JAK inhibitors have, or perhaps um, because of its more specific mechanism of action blocking uh, TIC2, maybe there is a safety benefit here. Um, the trials seem to suggest that. I think it's a tough one to go from trials to practice, to, particularly for things like safety, to know what the real incidence is in the community. Um, the advantage of the TIC2 inhibitors uh, is that uh, IL-23 signals through TIC2 um, suggesting that this might be a more specific target uh, for psoriatic disease, knowing the benefit of inhibiting IL-23 signaling in, in these patients, certainly for skin and, and more recently for joints. Uh, we've also seen some early information, and, and maybe we'll see these down the road on so-called dual inhibitors that may block different members of the JAK family, um, and more so than some of the earlier JAK inhibitors that just weren't very focused. These are actually specifically targeting different members. Uh, You know, whether that's going to add any benefit or it's going to be like some of the experimentation with a combination IL-17 TNF inhibitor that really didn't add much value over uh, either one alone. We'll see, um, but that may be something something that's coming in clinic. And, and actually, along those lines of sort of the mechanism of TIC2, uh, there's the prospect of trying to understand uh, in the future where IL-23 inhibitors fit into uh, our regimen. Um, very effective for skin disease. Two have now been approved for joint disease. They're certainly effective, I think, in practice. Um, clinicians don't really have a great feel. I certainly know I don't for how effective they are relative to the 
existing therapies that we've been using. And so, you know, I think both based on our experience and uh, a couple of solid clinical trials, um, we have some data that says that IL-17 inhibitors and TNF inhibitors are pretty comparable, at least for joint disease and uh, psoriatic arthritis. Um, it may be that the IL-23 inhibitors sort of fall um, in that same bucket, but uh, I don't know that we really know yet. We have no comparative data, and I don't know that we all have enough experience in clinic to have a good feel for that, but we'll see. And I think that's going to help us decide um, who uh, belongs on what. Um, and I think a lot of that is going to take time as we understand um, how we target in these patients. And that's really the future. Uh, another future thing that we're looking at is sort of which aspects of disease are we focusing on? Um, and some other videos on this site, I think you'll hear some about um, patient outcomes and, and the idea of using things like a minimal disease activity as a target for therapy, um, which includes both skin and joint response. And so as we start to weave those into our management strategy, I think we're going to have to look more at the different um, approaches and the different uh, treatments to see what's going to work better for skin, what's going to work better for joint, and in each individual patient, which is going to be more appropriate or, or which is going to address that aspect of their disease that's more of a problem for them. Um, you know, it's one thing for us as a physician to say, well, here's your problem and this is what we're going to treat. I think we really need to engage our patients to try to understand what's really uh, most concerning for them. And, and within the limits of our kind of responsibility to make sure that they're being treated appropriately, um, they need to sort of guide a lot of those choices because people have different values, different concerns. I have patients who are much more concerned about joint disease than their skin. I have patients more concerned about their skin than their joints. And, and you have to take that into account as you're making therapeutic choices. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to be struggling with as we move ahead in managing psoriatic disease. Uh, and then finally, I think the other interesting sort of future possibility is the prospect of combination therapy. Um, historically, we've been very concerned about combinations of biologics in our patients. And I think this goes back to some of the early trials many years ago uh, in rheumatoid arthritis, where uh, TNF inhibitors were combined with IL-1 IL inhibitors or TNF inhibitors combined with abatacept. And in all cases, um, there didn't seem to be a clear benefit in terms of efficacy, but there clearly was a safety issue, um, particularly in terms of a higher risk for serious infections. And so I think we've been very shy, uh, gun shy about using a combination of biologics over the years since then. But with some of the newer agents, particularly um, things like uh, IL-23 inhibitors, um, that may have a better safety profile in terms of risk of infection, um, is there going to be value in combining biologics? And in fact, there's an ongoing trial right now combining galimumab uh, and uh, gazelcomab, a TNF inhibitor and an IL-23 inhibitor uh, for treating psoriatic arthritis. Um, and I think that's the way we need it. we're going to need to do it. We're going to need to look at the data from a trial to determine whether it's truly safe and then we're going to need to look at the data to decide whether there's an efficacy benefit and whether it's worth combining therapies um, or whether we don't get enough added value from the second uh, agent to be worth the risk. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention a combination that many of us have been using so far and may be using more in the future, and that is a Premalas combined with a biologic. Certainly a Premalas has a, a 
a great safety track record in that it is not a significant immunosuppressive agent. Um, and so I think we feel more comfortable when we can. There's clearly a cost issue there by combining that with a biologic. And um, many times that's a challenge with insurance, but I think if we learn more about where that particular combination is most effective and most useful, um, it may give us a chance to work with our insurance companies and our uh, PBMs um, to try to get that for patients when it seems to be appropriate. Uh, and then finally, um, we're still on the cusp, as we seem to be consistently for the past few years, of personalized medicine. And this is certainly an area where that's going to be very helpful, trying to understand why some patients have more skin involvement, so others have more joint involvement or enthesitis or dactylitis uh, or, or uveitis, et cetera. And then trying to tailor our therapies to that. Um, it's early days, but I suspect that in the not too distant future, we'll be able to use some tools from biopsies. Certainly skin biopsies are easy to get. Uh, synovial tissue biopsies, a bit harder, but not impossible, even in, in clinical practice. And we may get enough information from some of those to help us, like the oncologist, really guide therapy based on a particular patient's biology. So, you know, to sum up, I think um, the future of psoriatic, ther psoriatic therapy, both for skin and joint disease, is, is bright. A lot of opportunities. Uh, we have great drugs right now, and we're going to learn more about how to use them um, specifically for the right patients. Uh, and we're going to learn how to weave in some of these newer mechanisms of action to find uh, a way to really get our patients' diseases under control uh, and let them get on with their lives. Thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you'll join us on Room Now for some of the other uh, interesting videos uh, dealing with psoriatic disease. Hello, my name is Laura Coates, a rheumatologist, and I'm coming to you today from Oxford in the UK. I'm going to speak about one aspect of what the future might hold for psoriatic arthritis, and that's particularly thinking about precision medicine or personalised medicine and how that might change the way we treat people with psoriatic arthritis in the future. So I think it's important to acknowledge that we already do some form of personalised medicine, and that's what you do every day in your clinic with the patients that we see. It, it's pretty much impossible in psoriatic arthritis to write a single flow chart for the best way to treat somebody with psoriatic arthritis. And so we take the data that we do have and distill that down to pick the best drug for each patient day to day. So in clinic at the moment, I'm thinking about which domains the person has active in terms of their psoriatic arthritis. Do they have axial disease? Do they have significant psoriasis or nail psoriasis? And that might help me to choose a therapy that's effective in those particular domains. We all think about comorbidities. Um, this is something that's key for a lot of our psoriatic arthritis patients, both in terms of related conditions like uveitis and IBD, but also other comorbidities like liver disease, obesity and cardiovascular disease. So these things we already take into account as well as access and patient preference. But we're in this situation where we really have an embarrassment of riches in terms of the treatment of psoriatic arthritis. We've got increasing data for conventional DMARDs, 
And we've also got an increasing number of both biologics and targeted synthetic DMARDs that we have to choose between for each patient in front of us. And really, at the moment, we rely on a trial and error approach. Uh, we try the drug that we think might be best, depending on their domains and the access that people have to therapy. But then if that doesn't work, we're usually waiting three to six months to measure response. And then we're having to switch to another drug and wait another three to six months to see if a patient will respond to a different drug. And obviously, in some other specialities in medicine, the idea of precision medicine or targeted therapies has really changed over the last decade or so, such that this has become a reality in the clinic. If you think about patients with cancer undergoing treatment, it's now very typical that patients will have a biopsy, will have a number of markers looked at in that biopsy of their tumour, and will then have an appropriate drug matched to them because of that biological pattern of disease. And so this is something that we think may hopefully come in the future in psoriatic arthritis and something that's already generated some early research. So we know that psoriatic arthritis is heterogeneous. We've got patients with very different aspects of disease. It seems likely that they differ somehow on the pathogenesis as well. There has been one small study to date looking at precision medicine with biologics, and that was run in Japan. And they sorted patients either into a standard care group where they went, underwent biologics as chosen by them uh, and the patient that they were treating, or a precision medicine approach where they took peripheral blood, did lymphocyte phenotyping, and then tried to match the particular biologic to the pattern of lymphocytes that was identified on those samples. So they split people into four groups based on TH1 and TH17 proportions, and then match them up to the individual drugs. And what that meant in terms of prescription was that in the standard care group, the majority received TNF, um, which I think would also be our practice as well. Um, but in the precision medicine group, there was a shift to around half the patients receiving IL-17, and then the other half receiving mostly TNF or a few with ustekinumab. Now, this study was small. It's highly likely to be underpowered, and there was no pre-specified primary outcome. But they did see across a number of musculoskeletal outcomes a benefit in terms of treat-to-target, some of which seemed significant, although with multiple testing, that's a bit difficult, but the majority of which seemed to be in the right direction, favouring precision medicine. I think it's unlikely that just the TH1 and TH17 proportion is the magic test for psoriatic arthritis. We've got such a heterogeneous condition that I'm sure it's going to come down to more than that. Um, but we have seen positive data in other rheumatological studies looking at a number of different biomarkers uh, in peripheral blood, uh, some also in uh, biopsy samples from joints as well but starting to suggest that we may be able to target therapies to particular individuals. And that's something we're lucky to be studying at the moment in the UK. Uh, we're recruiting a study using that same TH17 marker, 
and stratifying patients either to TNF or IL-17 therapy, but also, I think importantly, doing a number of additional tests on those peripheral blood samples, looking at intracellular cytokines, looking at RNA sequencing and RNA sequencing in specific cell subsets. So we're hopeful in the future that our study and other studies will enable us to do a baseline blood test and then predict a drug that at least has a higher chance of response and or a lower chance of side effects so that we can start moving towards a precision medicine approach in psoriatic arthritis.